0: If you have your Bibles, join me in turning to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, we'll read together in just a moment, verses 1 through 4. Something went wacky with a contact lens in the last service, so if you see me dabbing, I'm not overly emotional this morning. I'm just leaking a little. There's an episode, and uh, we're, we're focused this morning on children obeying parents. We've talked in weeks past about Husbands and wives and now children as a part of the makeup of the family. There's an episode in Luke's Gospel, one of the very few glimpses of the childhood of Jesus we ever get in the Gospels, where Mary and Joseph go to Jerusalem and and they, they leave and they're traveling with a large party of people and they get a day's journey away from Jerusalem and they realize that they don't have Jesus with them and they have to travel back to Jerusalem to find him. You guys know I was on vacation. Most everyone knows by now we were on vacation a couple weeks back. I brought that vacation to a great big end with a four-day stay in the hospital. And as I said, most everyone is aware of that by now. What you probably don't know is that not only did I spend four days in the hospital, but my wife had COVID, Bo had strep, Trey had uh, ear infection, and Hunter had pink eye, which I don't have, I have something in my eye. So you know, when you got a four year old in the house, nap time is, is the best time, right? And so we, we uh, put him down and everybody's kind of lounging, laying around doing their thing. And I made a trip to the pharmacy to get medicine for the middle son's pink eye. And when I, I came back, as I was getting back to the condo, my phone is ringing and Brandy is hysterical. And I get off the elevator to walk to our room to uh, the sight of an elderly gentleman who has my four-year-old son by the hand and is walking him back to our room and my um, wife, who is hysterical, uh, running to him. He got up from his nap and decided he would take a little walk around the condo and didn't let anyone know about that and was soon discovered to be gone and no one could find him. And you've experienced that. If you've raised kids, they wander off. That, that moment of, oh no, what in the world has, has happened? There are times when we, you know, you feel like such a failure as a parent. A kid wanders off and, you're, you know, you feel like such an embarrassment. You wonder, are people calling Child Protective Services? I mean, I'm terrible. And I, and I feel that way from time to time. I just remember Mary and Joseph left the only son of God for 48 hours unattended in the city of Jerusalem and take some heart and encouragement in that. You know, I don't know if, if there's any area of our life that is more tender or sensitive to us than, than our kids. We want to do right by our children. We, we want to bring them up in the training and admonition of Jesus. Even those who may not have an appreciation for the gospel, even those who don't know the gospel, want their children in general to be successful at the things that they do, and the idea of coming short of that standard, doing something that is besetting in their life is just a heartbreaking thing. And so we want, we want to observe the command of God's Word this morning and do our best by the power of the Spirit to make good application of it in our lives personally, to be the husbands and wives, the moms and the dads, the kiddos that God intends that we would be. Ephesians 6 stands to help us in that area. If you found your way there, join me in standing as we read the Word of God together. Ephesians 6, one through four. Children, obey your parents as you would the Lord, because this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may have a long life in the land. Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. May God grant great wisdom, sound application, and may he bless the reading and the preaching of his word. You may be seated. I felt Jason did a good job with this in weeks past, pointing to this idea, but I I want to highlight this again. Everything that has been said in the sections we've been covering for the past few weeks is driven by a single verse back in Ephesians 5 in verse number 21. The verse reads simply, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. It's the conclusion of a longer statement Paul is making about the gathered body. When the church is gathered, we are, as verse 19 says, to speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music from your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything in God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. This is what body life looks like as the church. And the concluding statement is, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Paul is answering in the passages that come after, the sections we've been covering for the past now three weeks. Some unasked questions, but questions that we ought to be, at least internally, asking of the text. With regards to the makeup of the family, what does it look like for a husband to submit himself to the needs of his wife? It means that he is to love her as Christ has loved the church and gave himself a her pursuing her sanctification, the cleansing of her life by the washing of the water of the word. This is in essence what it looks like for a husband to submit himself to the needs of his wife. What does it look like for a wife to submit herself to the needs of the family or to submit herself to the needs of the the husband? It means submitting herself unto her husband as unto the Lord. Now the passage before us this morning, what does it look like For a child to submit themselves to the interest of the family. It means submitting themselves to the authority of their parents. And for fathers, in verse 4 of our passage, what does it look like for a father to submit himself to the interest of his children? It means provoking them not to wrath, but bringing them up in the training and the admonition of Jesus. What's being pressed upon here is that there's a role, there are responsibilities for every member of the family which finds itself as members of the body of Christ. Now, that observation helps us to see the flow of what Paul is contending for and the unity of the text itself. But more practically, it's hitting on a principle that I think is worthy of some attention. As a husband you cannot be fully submitted to God in the fear of Christ without submitting yourself to the needs of your wife. As a wife, you cannot be fully submitted to God in the fear of Christ without submitting yourself to the needs of your husband. As parents, you cannot be fully submitted to Christ without submitting yourself to the needs of your children. As children, you cannot be submitted to God fully in the fear of Christ without submitting yourself to the authority of your, of your parents. Now, that may seem fairly basic, but there is this tendency I have observed to compartmentalize our lives. The hard fact, but the reality nonetheless, is that there, there are some husbands here who have difficult wives. There are some wives here who have difficult husbands. There are some parents here who have difficult children. And there are some children here who have difficult parents. Because of the circumstances of life, our tendency is to qualify such observations, to exempt ourselves from the full standard of God's word on the basis of another person's behavior. Well, he's really difficult to deal with, so I'm going to sort of set this part of my life to the side. And with regards to spiritual things, with regards to the church, with regards to the kingdom, with regards to the gospel, I'm going to give myself entirely over here, but I'm going to reserve this area of my life where I'm going to disassociate or disconnect on some level because it's just too painful or it's just too difficult to take head on under the full unqualified command of God. The reality is that except you esteem those within your family more highly than yourself, you will forever go on coming short of the call of Ephesians 5.21. The only way that you can fully submit to God in the fear of Jesus Christ is by submitting yourself to the needs of those within your family. And Paul has identified the responsibilities of each component part of the family with regards to the needs of those around them. Here we have addressed the the whole parent and child relationship. Verse one, the Bible says, children, obey your parents as you would the Lord, because this is right. Children, disobeying your parents is not a rite of passage. Although it could be anticipated, this should not be the kind of thing that is to be expected. It's not cute. It's not acceptable. It's not gray. It's not a small issue when you defy the authority or the commandment of your mom and dad. The tendency with these passages, and I find myself noting these qualifications throughout this series, if you go back in your memory, to the sermon on forgiveness. We talked initially about those sins that erode the foundations of the family. We talked about the messy business of forgiveness, how we can talk so plainly about forgiveness, but in real time, practical application, there can begin to be some certain complexities. If your accountant embezzles your retirement fund, forgiveness means you forgive, but you're probably not going to reinvest with the same accountant, right? There are complex issues that attach themselves to virtually any family issue. In fact, there are complex issues that have a tendency to attach themselves to any ethical issue whatsoever. The tendency with a passage like this is for you to go in your mind, I'm speaking primarily to children, but also acknowledging that some of you in your 40s and 50s and 60s are still children. In other words, you still have parents and you're still wrestling through what it looks like to honor your mother and father. The tendency is to run to the qualification, what about this set of circumstances? What about this? What about that? What if they ask me to do this? What if they tell me to do to do that? And here's what I'll say to you. The likelihood of you in your childhood being able to understand, to comprehend, or to appreciate all of the complexities, the ins and outs, and the information that contributed to the decision of your mom and dad to give a basic command is very, very, very low. There are going to be times when you cannot understand why your mom or dad has said, do this or do not do this. The deal is God did not say children understand what your parents told you to do. God did say, however, children, obey your parents as you would the Lord. Now, moms and dads, let me me just talk for a moment about why and how this is so critically important. The investment that you're making in your children, in the way you raise your children, is conditioning their heart. It is positioning them for some response to the message of the gospel at some point in their life. You are asking of them, in fact, you are requiring of them from infancy into adulthood, that regardless of whether or not they understand the ins and outs, the complexities, the variables that contribute to the decision that you have made for them, to simply trust that their mother or their father knows best. I don't know where we ever landed at this whole notion of parenting as being a friend to our children your parents your kids have lots of friends they only have two parents and they need you to be parents they don't need buddies they can have buddies at school they can have buddies at church they need parents and requiring that they trust even in the absence of good knowledge or understanding is a means of conditioning their heart for a moment in time even in their adulthood when they may not understand what our heavenly father has required of them to do They will never know all the ins and outs or the complexities. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. But we have been called upon to trust the insight and the oversight and the authority of our heavenly father. How is a child ever to learn to yield in trustful submission to the authority of the heavenly father if they've never seen this modeled with regards to their earthly father? I'm not suggesting that creates some kind of insurmountable obstacle, but there is most assuredly an opportunity for their heart to be well-conditioned for what the future holds as they engage personally in a relationship with the very God of heaven. It's never too early and it's never too late to begin modeling this kind of father-son and even mother-child dynamic. I used to think that probably 5 to 15 were the most fruitful years of child rearing. They're old enough to communicate. There's some back and forth. They can feed themselves at that point, and they don't use the bathroom and a diaper. Those are pluses. And, and I'm convinced now as a foster parent and as an adoptive parent that even 0 to 2, the moment you bring that child home from the hospital. They're establishing a trustful confidence in those God has given authority over their life that has the effect of conditioning their heart to receive the good seed of the gospel. Sometimes here we have a little bit of difficulty at getting people to volunteer in our preschool. And some sometimes I can hear their tinges in conversation of this idea that that's, that's a step away from from A to B direct gospel impact and ministry and nothing could be further from the truth. To love that child through their infancy in their preschool years is to soften, to till the soul of their heart to receive the good soil of the gospel. It is never too early to begin making that deposit of the gospel in the lives of little ones. children. Obey your parents as you would the Lord, for this is right. There are obligations implicit in this command, not only for children to see to it that they obey their parents, but for parents to hold a high standard. When your children disobey you, they are not sinning exclusively against you, but against a holy, holy, holy God in heaven. Paul says, obey your parents as you would the Lord because this is right. I used to ask my daddy when I was a boy, why? Why why do you want me to do this? This will resonate with most of you. And he would say, because I said. And from time to time, my children will ask, why are you asking me to do this? And I will say, because I said time to time they may get some brief explanation, but more times than not, they're going to get because I said, because this is right. To come under that kind of authority has an element of training that readies the child for adulthood. We live in a society where people don't like authority. No one wants someone else to be in charge over them. I I got news for you. There's no way around it. God has established a hierarchical order within the family and within society. It does not matter what you like or what you want. Here in the real world, someone is in charge. And regardless of how lofty you regard your position, someone somewhere is in charge of you. You do what your parents have asked you to do because this is in and of itself the right thing to do. And that's not a bad lesson for kiddos to learn. Now, Paul elaborates this on this in verse two. In fact, he appeals to commandment number five in Exodus chapter 20. He says, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise so that it may go well with you and that you may have a long life in the land. Now, one of the television shows that I would watch getting off the school bus in elementary school was The Cosby Show. I know he's proven to be a slime ball, but that was the show I watched. And slime ball or Not, it was a good television show, right? And I can remember in that sitcom several times hearing Dr. Huxtable say to one of his children, I brought you into this world, and I can take you out. That is not what Paul is saying in verse number two. In fact, it is, as I referenced a moment ago, an appeal to the fifth commandment in the Ten Commandments. Honor your mother and father so that your days may be long in the land, that it may go well with you, and that your days may be long in the land. Honor your mother and father. Now, the Ten Commandments are given at the birth of the nation of Israel. God has brought the people of Israel out of their Egyptian bondage and into the promised land. And God establishes a covenant between himself and the people of Israel. This is the moral code, the ethical code around which the covenant revolves. Covenant is a sort of a difficult concept for moderns to appreciate, The closest thing we have in our culture to a covenant is marriage. With with marriage, like the covenant, there are legal elements, there are contractual obligations that are bound to the legalities of the marriage itself. But the far more important element of marriage is not contractual obligations or legalities, it is the affection that is enjoyed between the parties now engaged in the covenant of marriage. Covenants In the Old Testament are very similar to marriage. There are stipulations of the covenant, certain things which must be performed, certain commitments which are made, there is even a legal element to the covenant itself, but the far more pressing issue is the affection involved Uh, on the part of those who have entered into the covenant. God enters in to this contractual obligation, to this legally binding relationship with the people of Israel because he has affection for them, because he loves them. Nevertheless, there are legalities. There are certain stipulations attached to the covenant. Deuteronomy chapter 28, those stipulations are laid out. If you obey me, I will bless you. If you disobey me, I will curse you. And the capital curse within the covenant stipulation was that if Israel persisted in disobedience, they would be removed from the land. It's often overlooked, but as you read through the Old Testament, when Israel is exiled from the promised land and carried captive into Judah... What's happening there is that they are receiving the the most severe punishment prescribed for them in the stipulations of the covenant. They were being removed from the land, the land that flowed with milk and honey, the promised land. What's being stated in the fifth commandment, honor your mother and father that it may go well with you and that your days may be long in the land, is how essential The order of the family is to a properly functioning society. The principle stands today, even in the absence of a theocratic society such as existed in the Old Testament. In in order for there to be a functioning, healthy society, proper family structure is essential. We wail and bemoan over certain societal issues today, and, and rightly so. But if you could put the family unit back together, if you could put loving fathers and and, and mothers within the home with children who sought to be obedient to their parents, you could resolve every pressing societal issue that exists in our world today. In fact, I contend that if you eradicated divorce tomorrow in America, you would eliminate forever the problem of poverty. You take out divorce, there is no more poverty in America. You put the family unit back together as God has designed it it rather and assigned to it the responsibilities that God has assigned. And all of our social issues are fixed. You'll never turn on the nightly news and find a band of young people running through a store grabbing at will what they want. You'll never see in the nightly news riots breaking out from sea to shining sea. You'll you'll never see in the nightly news the pressing issue of how we get people out of our prison system so that we can get a new wave of criminals into our prison system. All of the issues that we wail and bemoan within our society, and again, rightly so, they evaporate in an instant when the family is as the family was intended by God, who, by the way, made the family as it is. essential to a properly functioning society is a proper family structure. Now, that may seem obvi- obvious enough and it's really easy for us to amen that kind of thing and observe from a distance what we see in the 24-hour news cycle. But These issues land far closer to home than what Christians and churches are often willing to acknowledge. There is at the root of these varied societal issues, at the root of the dissolution of the family, A selfishness that prioritizes personal rights, privileges, pleasures, feelings, sense of satisfaction, and fulfillment over the well-being of those around us. Which, by the way, is at direct odds with the call of God on our life to esteem others more highly than ourselves. That culture, that mentality, that line of thinking, is far more pervasive in the church than what you might be comfortable with realizing or acknowledging. It ain't about you, and it ain't about me. Here the the family is strung together in such a way as as that each member would regard others more highly than they esteem themselves, prioritizing the needs of those around them, even over their own personal likes and, and interests. Well, I just feel this way or I'm just not happy. You you realize that there has never been a people, there has never been a generation, there has never been a society that was so wrongheaded as to make those kinds of observations. Like where along the way did your personal happiness, which is by the way as fickle as the weather, become the most pressing predominant issue in anyone else's life. This is the height of self idolatry and it is the driving force behind the dissolution of the family. And again and again and again, we convince ourselves that we're gonna be the exception to the rule and you will not. There's never been a couple who's come to me in now nearly 20 years of marriage announcing their intentions to divorce, that hadn't convinced themselves that they were gonna be the exception to the rule. We're gonna be friends, which has always seemed like the dumbest thing in the world to me. And we're gonna make sure that our kids are well taken care of, they're gonna be fine, they're gonna be good, do not be any problems. That, that is so far removed from reality I scarcely know how to respond to that. You are not the exception, and you will not be the exception. It is written in the constitution of creation. This is how the family is to function. And any deviation from this pattern will result in disastrous consequences in your life and the lives of those around you. This is not some far off distant principle that we're able to observe in the news cycle and yes and amen without any personal effect. A proper family structure is essential to a functioning society. And you and I are contributing to the construction of a properly functioning society by loving our wives as Christ has loved the church, by submitting to husbands as unto the Lord, by rearing our children in the training and admonition of Jesus, and as children, obeying our parents even as we would the Lord. One of the most countercultural things that you can do as a believer today. Is to marry and have lots of children, live a normal, ordinary, quiet life, love Jesus, and teach them how to love Jesus. That's a countercultural thing in our world. And what a great thing it would be if a revolution like that would begin among the people of God. Now, there's a shift in verse four. Children have certain responsibilities, but the oversight of those responsibilities is assigned. In verse 4, specifically to the father, I would suggest more broadly to mom and dad, but ultimate headship and responsibility falls to the father. Here, verse 4 says, Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. This is hard. Don't stir up anger in your children or provoke them to wrath, as one translation said. My daddy is a very stern man. He is still a very stern man. You have heard me reflect on my wilderness wandering years. During those years, I just stayed away from my daddy because I feared that if he got his hands on me, I would not escape. There were great periods of time when I stayed at a great distance. Even now, there's never been a time when we had an open discussion about all of the gravely disobedient, rebellious things that I was doing during those years in part because I'm afraid at 41 years old, if those things came up and he were to make some new discovery, he would put me over his lap and he would wear me out like a five-year-old boy. I feel like from his side, there's sort of this, this shared back and forth from his side He's not gonna bring that up because he feels obligated then to put me over his lap and wear me out like a five-year-old child. I, I have never, listen, I'm telling you, my teenage years, you are glad your children were not like me as a teenager and you do not want your children to be like I was as a teenager, but I have never, I cannot recall a single time of speaking disrespectfully to my father And the fact that I still have teeth attests to this truth. And so my parenting has a tendency to sort of follow after that trajectory. You model after what you have experienced. And if there's an area of my parenting that I wish God would grant greater grace and a portion of the spirit to do better with regards to, it's the business of not provoking children to wrath or stirring up anger in their heart. i tell you who gets it worse. The oldest children always get it worse. I say this as the oldest child, and I, and I say this having, I have a, a three children, so I have all the stereotypes. I have the oldest, I have the youngest, and I have the middle. I also have a sister who is 13 years younger than me. Now bear in mind what I've just described about my father. Miranda when Miranda was was 16 or so ish she's in a room and she was on the phone and uh and my dad hollered to get off the phone it was nine o'clock it was time to get off the phone and she didn't get off the phone quick enough and so he he hollered again for her to get off the phone this time in Lynn Stevens voice which I think all of y'all would just do whatever he said if he spoke to you that way you just do when you hear that voice and uh and so she sent a text message to her friend that said we'll have to text now, daddy's being, and she used the ugly word. The problem is she didn't send the text message to her friend. Now, now, she's 28 years old now, right? This is a long time ago. And just the past week, this story came up. And my other two sisters were there who are closer to my age, so they got daddy at his best, right? And, and we, even now, like I've heard, I know this happened. She told me that it happened, and I still just sort of do like this, you know. And he didn't kill her. And I'm like, who, who are you? And where, where is my father? And who is this person impersonating him? And now, my oldest sees me interact with our four-year-old, and he goes, who are you? And where is my father? And who is this person impersonating him? Now, some of that is just the wisdom of age and and learning to better not provoke your children to wrath. Some of it is you just get old and you're tired. But there is some wisdom that comes with time and experience in parenting to just sort of take it easy a little bit. The deal with the first kid is, if you don't have kids or you got the first kid, hear me and save your child some heartache it ain't gonna be perfect and they're not going to be perfect and you will quench their spirit if you set out to be the perfect parent of the perfect child the reason these stereotypes fit right the oldest and the middle and the youngest we got three and and they all live in the same house, they've been raised under the same circumstances, and they are as stereotypical as they could possibly be. It's not that the kids are changing, it's that in time and with wisdom, your approach to parenting is evolving along the way, shaping their young lives in ways that are consistent with your approach to parenting at that season of your life. Take a deep breath, it's gonna be all right, it won't be perfect. Don't provoke them, to anger, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. If you make a habit of getting arrested as frequently as I did as a teenager, you hear adults say this, if my kid got arrested, he'll have to stay there, I'm not coming to get him. I just don't think that's good gospel parenting. I want my kids, you should want your kids to know that when they're in as much trouble as they can possibly be in, that you're running to their rescue. Now, I want my kids to know that I'm going to kill them when I get them out. But I want them to know that regardless of what happens, I am going to be there. They may not make it home. They will be in a miserable state when they get home. But they will be home safe and secure with their father. I think this is something of the balance that Paul is describing in our passage. Bring them up in the training and admonition of Jesus. Don't provoke them to wrath. Don't, don't create anger in their heart. There's a negative and a positive to what's being described. You don't want to stir up anger. Rather, you want to make a deposit of the gospel in their life so that they come up in the training and admonition of Jesus. Teach them to walk worthy of the calling with which they have been called. Model for them what it looks like to be a faithful follower of Jesus. I can't tell you the number of times through the years engaged in evangelism or inviting a person to church when there was some response related to a bad childhood experience with their parents and religion or their parents and the church that completely turns a person off to any openness to the gospel whatsoever. Now, I'm convinced that the majority of those testimonies are contrived the product of pseudo therapy, which is so prevalent in our culture, junk like Oprah coaching that there's someone somewhere back there in our history that is the fault that is the reason for all of our issues this effort at removing any sense of self-responsibility but there are those examples of moms and dads who are one person when at church on Sunday and somebody altogether different in every other area of their life that can leave a child jaded and frustrated and confused and frankly checked out on the promises of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Woe unto us if that be our practice. May God find us repentant, faithful, and consistent in all of our life. It's not just instilling discipline. It's not just readying them for young adulthood. It's it's, it's not prioritizing success over faithfulness to Jesus. We conflate those two things. All parents are concerned with the success of their children. What makes us different as followers of Jesus is that we're not giving priority to success over faithfulness to Jesus. Fair enough, in our society, faithfulness to Jesus will often yield a certain measure of success, but you cannot conflate those two ideas. Our most pressing concern. It's not the popularity of our kids. It's not the athleticism of our kids. It's not the academic vigor or excellence of our kids. It's not how well socialized they are. None of those things are the priority for us. We're trusting that if Jesus has supremacy in our life, and if Jesus has supremacy in their life, all these things will be added unto him. Our most pressing concern is the spiritual well-being of our children, not their vocational or their social, social or their financial well-being, but but their spiritual well-being. Bring them up in the training and admonition of Jesus. Make the investment of the gospel. Fathers are given charge with this responsibility. Dads, if you think that our children's ministry and our youth ministry is going to disciple your children, you have fundamentally misunderstood the nature of our ministry here. In the same way there are things that the church can do that an individual family can't do, it is at the same time very true that there are certain aspects of rearing children that the family must do that the church simply cannot do. And guys are resistant to this, right? Like like I'm the preacher, and I I think probably a lot of people have perceptions of of the preacher. A lot of you think that Monday through Saturday, my household looks like seventh heaven or something. We all sit around and hold hands and hum hymns and pray together. And I stand on the fireplace and preach to the family. Like that's what we, that, 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 that is not what the Stevens household looks like. And Even for the pastor, as a man, there are times when there is an enormous amount of awkwardness that comes with the opening of the Bible and the gathering of the family in prayer. It's, it's awkward because there's a, there's a tremendous amount of vulnerability that comes with that. And I don't like vulnerability and I don't know any man who does like vulnerability. You cannot pray with your wife. You cannot pray with your children. You cannot pray with your family without opening yourself in this incredibly awkward and immensely vulnerable way. And again, I don't like to be vulnerable, but I sure like what it produces between myself and my wife. And I sure like what it produces between myself and my children. And in spite of the fact that sometimes the medicine goes down poorly, I realize that not only is it good for my soul, it's good for the well-being of my family as well. This is not about raising successful children, but well-formed followers of Jesus Christ. Young men who are willing to embrace the awkwardness of vulnerability to see Jesus glorified in their life. Young women who are willing to embrace the awkwardness of vulnerability in order to see Jesus exalted in their life. Kids that know that, yes, my parents are perfect, but they're repentant and they seek to walk with Jesus. He may be out of sorts and out of character at certain times, but I see in him the baseline is an earnest desire to walk faithfully, with Jesus Christ. Sometimes he grates on me and he gets on my nerves and sometimes I don't like dad, but I know that when push comes to shove, when no one else is there for me, dad's gonna be there. When no one likes me, dad's gonna love me. When I have really fouled it up, when I've done as dumb as I could conceivably do, dad is gonna be at my side. He may chew me, he may kill me, but I'll survive, right? This is what it looks like, at least in part, to bring them up in the training and admonition of Jesus. And listen, it never happens accidentally. some, Some of you are just sort of skating through in the hopes that something's gonna rub off somewhere, and this is how guys do, we have this unspoken language, we're sort of doing this dance, I'm reading the face, are you getting what I'm putting down, all those sorts of things, and then we just hope that in that silent communication, an adequate expression of the gospel and an adequate understanding of the Bible is somehow conveyed. And it almost never, ever, ever is. And then we, and then we procrastinate. We just, we, just, we just put it off. The, the the reason people won't take the next right step with regards to their marriages or their families over the course of these weeks, even emphasizing this, people sit here, you may sit here under conviction. You know why you won't do what you know needs to be done in order to rectify this situation? Shame, fear, and foolish procrastination. It'll get better. It'll be all right. You think you're just going to amble into success as a, a married couple or amble in to success as a family. You old heads know this better than I do, but it seemed like yesterday we we brought our first child home. He's about this big. And last week I sent him to college. Some some of you have been procrastinating about taking the next right steps for a long time. And one day it's going to be forever too late with regards to your spiritual well-being, with regards to your salvation, some of you continue to put off the next right step in following Jesus in faith and repentance. And one day, it's gonna be forever too late. Those children you hold like this today will, before you know it, be holding you. And if you continue to procrastinate at doing what God is so clearly calling you to do. This life that is but a wisp of smoke here today and gone tomorrow will be gone before you even realize what has happened. Today is the day of salvation. Today, I would add, is the day of repentance. Today is the day to take the next right step. Today is the day to stop deluding yourself into believing that you're gonna be the exception to the rule. We're gonna be the family that deviates from God's course and it's not gonna have disastrous consequences in our life. Today is the day to come to the realization that God's way is the best way and it always has been the best way and any deviation from his way is certain to end in catastrophe. I mentioned in the beginning of of our message that the idea of coming short as a parent is a deeply sensitive idea. Failing in this way is is such a, a crushing thing. Moms and dads, I want you to just feel for a moment the weight of the consequence of your sin, your shortcomings, as they're mirrored back to you in the lives of your children. You know why there are certain things that your kids do that drive you nuts? Because they're just like you. And their behaviors, their patterns of behavior that, that you see in yourself and you hate them. And you see them now reflected, parroted in the lives of your kids. I want you to feel the weight of some grave shortcoming, some massive failure along the way. Children, I want you to feel for a moment the weight of, of guilt, the weight of the consequence of your sin having defied the command of your parent. Not not just violating the wishes of your mom and dad, but committing an act of disobedience, disobedience against the holy, holy, holy God of heaven. Feel those wounds fresh. And I want you to know that there is a balm in the gospel of Jesus Christ. By the blood of Jesus to be pressed to all of our wounds, our sins and transgressions, carried away forever in the name of Jesus. He's our help, right? Like we can't do do this. This is heavy stuff. We can't do it. You know by your daily experience you can't do it. You're just tired. You know when you're at your worst as a parent? When you're weary. This child has asked me as a 12 year old five million times for this iPhone with access to every manner of ungodliness in all the world and I'm tired. Just get it. Come home after a long day, they're asking for something and you blow up or you're short, you're terse with your family or maybe you give in to something you knew better than giving in to, your daily experience from five o'clock to seven o'clock every day of your life attests to the reality that you cannot physically in the strength of the natural man do what God has called you to do. You don't have the ability. The only resort we've left is to call on the only one who loves him more than we do And his name is Jesus. You've got to have him to be the mom, the dad, the husband, the wife, the child that God has called you to be. Feel the weight of the consequence of your sin. And feel the joy and the gladness of knowing that our sin by faith and repentance has been laid upon him at the cross. That we might know pardon, full and free, everlasting life in the indwelling presence of God's Holy Spirit. Do you know him? I mean, do you really know Jesus? No one ambles into being a good parent. No one ambles into having a good marriage. And no one ambles into being a Christian. There must be that moment of commitment in our life when we break with the things of this world and give ourselves to the Lord, asking that he would cleanse us of all sin and empower us in the days ahead to walk faithfully as he's called us to walk. Do you, do you know and treasure Jesus? you made the grave mistake of prioritizing the success of your children over their spiritual well-being, you've just been selfish as a father, as a husband, goodness, I pray that conviction would fall in such incredible ways. That God would give us as a church, families that live in orbit around the message of the gospel and who exhibit such gospel centrality and the affection that they have one for another, submitting themselves to the needs of those around them. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, I I pray that you would grant conviction, the filling of your Holy Spirit, and a determination in spite of the fear and the shame and the guilt, the embarrassment, and even procrastination, God, Take the next, next right step in our marriages, in our families, with regards to our kids. God, I pray that you would forgive us of all of our shortcomings. They are many. That you'd give us the ability, the power by your Holy Spirit to do what you've called us to do. God, I pray that you would search our hearts this morning, that there would be great weight, a sense of consequence for our sin. And I pray that at the same time, you would lift that great weight fill our hearts with joy and gladness at what Jesus has done for us. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.